Welcome to the Hardware Asylum Podcast Extras. In this episode, we explore the performance potential of two GTX 1070 cards in SLI. I'm your host, Dennis Garcia, and with me today, I have Darren McKay. Hey, Dennis. I know that we have not gotten together as much lately because of the COVID. So I hadn't noticed that you had a new build in the lab. I always have a build in the lab. You know this. <laughs> yeah, but this one's different because if I'm not mistaken there, you have pulled out the extreme overclocking equipment. Um, yeah, I pulled out the single stage phase. I love that thing. <laughs> I know. And we haven't been using it lately because we've been so focused on water cooling, it seems like. Yeah. And on top, well, this build has water cooling. Well, that's kind of what I find most interesting about it. And I think I see some familiar components there. Yeah. So as we mentioned in a previous podcast, I'll link it down in the show notes if I can find it. Darren bought a new video card. I couldn't resist. I was having some problems with the drivers and I made a great excuse to move up to a 2070 Super. Well, I think you had a lot more problems than that. Well, we yeah. We upgraded two machines and we never installed the OS because it's a pain in the butt. And yeah. So you can only uninstall and install stuff for so long before things start to get a little wonky. And it was time. Yeah, it was. So you did a, a new drive and a new video card. Yeah. And which point we took out the two GTX 1070s and you right. left them over here. I did. I figured they were already set up for super cooling. Well, at least water cooling. Water cooling. Yep. So you could take a look at them, see what you could get them to do. And you were most curious about um, why they were being wonky. Because... It, in all intents and purposes, SLI should just quote unquote work. Yes. And you were having issues because, and I saw this where some things would work great in SLI, but then the one game that you play all the time. Battlefield. Was not. Yeah. And it was, it was doing a flicker, black, white, whatever screen sort of thing, which could be anything. Exactly. And now we had initially just to catch you guys back up, figured that it was something to do with the SLI bridge. Mm-hmm. And then we thought, well, maybe it could be a power issue or a driver issue. But right. we were pretty confident the hardware was okay. The hardware should have been fine. And was it fine? Yeah, it was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> what I did was, um, it took a couple of weeks, but I basically, I set up a rig. So we have the Asus Hero, which is the Z490 motherboard that I reviewed on the website, which I'll link down in the show notes. Right. We have a, a 10900K processor on there. And the 10900 famously overclocks like a beast. That's the K, right? But it overclocks basically to boost. Anything past boost, it doesn't do nothing. Okay, so let's talk about air. the specs then. So what's the difference between standard clocks and boost? Standard clocks and boost? Yeah, I mean, well, what are the numbers? Give me the numbers. Well, standard clock is 3.7 gigahertz. But then when it goes into boost, it will boost up two cores to 5.3 gigahertz. Out of how many cores? 10. So only two out of 10. Well, that's all right, though. Dual core overclocking. <laughs> Dual core boost. Um, <laughs> all the other cores will do um, at least 5 gigahertz, usually 5.2. It, if you look at the clocks and you're running a light benchmark, it will go and run a lot of them at 5.3. But when they don't have a lot of load on them, they don't genera- generate a lot of heat and therefore don't throttle. Most of what this processor's performance problems are related to is throttling. Okay, so how does that work? Well, when it gets hot, it kicks it down. But you've got that one on 
some pretty impressive combination of water cooling and phase cooling and air <laughs> cooling and yeah. So I, I have the, I have the Hero and the ten nine hundred hooked up to my single stage phase, which will it's a three hundred watt phase and it'll get it down to about negative thirty nine thirty five C in that range. On the temperature probe, it'll go down to negative forty, but that's not really at the CPU core itself. So we should point out that at the time of this podcast, ambient temperature could be over 80, maybe even 90. Well, yeah. In an insulated garage, if I open up the door because it's hot and get more hot, then yeah, we'll do about that. <laughs> Fair enough. It's the summertime and in Idaho, you can get up to around 100 degrees outside. So it's pretty warm, not ideal conditions for overclocking, but with a phase machine, which is basically a compressor chiller, it'll get cold. That's not necessarily the problem. The problem is the fact that the CPU has a very small package and it outputs a whole lot of heat. And it's really difficult to get all that heat from the small package to the heat spreader to the cooler. So, and that's where you can do a little bit of delitting and it might actually enhance cooling a little bit, but it also, you risk damaging the chip. And for the most part, it's not worth it to the point where you can actually get any better numbers out of it. I know a lot of our listeners know, but for those that don't, what is delitting? Delitting is removing the heat spreader. You know, we used to do delitting back in the K6 two days. Oh yeah. Well, and even back in the slots, we used to tear them open and do crazy things. Yeah. You pull the slot off or the slot cover off and put some new thermal paste on there and then put the, the, uh, heatsink back on. But with the K6 II, it was one of the first um, chip processors that had a an aluminum lid, a little heat spreader on it. It had all the logos and stuff on it. You could actually remove that because it was pretty thin and put the heatsink directly on the die. It didn't really overclock any better, but it was one of those cool things that you could do. Well, and cooler, maybe. Cooler. <laughs> <laughs> and then we had a lot of soldered processors since then. And then, uh, of course, Intel was famous with the Ivy Bridge to start to do it a TIM, you know, a thermal compound, kind of like the old K62. So if you remove the lid and replace the thermal compound with something a little bit more thermally conductive, maybe a high quality thermal paste. Some people do the liquid metal, which is okay for air cooling, but not good for super cooling or even water cooling for that matter. And then uh, you put the new thermal paste on it. You put the lid back on so that you can apply a heat sink properly and enjoy a better temperatures and lower fan speeds. Sounds dangerous. Don't try that at home, kids. Well, you can try it at home. I don't <laughs> at your own risk, I guess. <laughs> but I noticed that you have quite a bit of water cooling stuff over there. So if the phase is hooked directly to the CPU, what are we doing with the water cooling setup? What do you got over there? Well, your video cards were set up with EK water blocks. True. We have the Seahawk and then we have the GamerX with the EK water block on it. Okay, so walk me through the water cooling components. Well, we have the water blocks on the video card. Right. So we have two 1070s. One is a Gamer X converted, mm -hmm. and one is a Seahawk, which came that way. And we've talked a lot about those, so we'll move on. But I notice you've got what looks like a whole separate loop over there. Yeah. So we have the other water cooling components. So we need a pump. We need a res. Well, we don't need a res, but we have a res. And those are XSPC components. So the, the so res looks like, a, what is it, a 2 times 120, a 240? Um, I don't remember the size of it. It sure looks like it. Yeah, it's pretty big. It's it's one of the glass ones. It's one of the reasons I picked it. But it's right. got a D5 pump in the bottom. And I permanently mounted that to an Alpha Cool radiator. It's a, a 280, so it's a dual That's what 140 I'm millimeters. Okay. 
the way that the mounting bracket comes with the XSPC pump res is that it will mount directly to a radiator with enough space for a fan in there. So well, that's kind of cool. I permanently mounted those together, and then I have a hardline tube that runs from the output of the pump res into the left side of the radiator. Oh, you've turned it into kind of an all-in-one. Yeah, because I was tired of setting all this stuff up <laughs> and having right. it all over the place. And then all I have to do at that point is basically put two of my soft tube from the XSPC fittings, just basically two flex lines that will go from that unit to whatever I need to cool. So I could have it hooked up to a CPU cooler or I could have it to the SLI. That way it's all a self-contained unit. All I have to do is fill up with water. Now, I can't see very clearly from where we're recording, but I don't think that motherboard has any super cooling connections on it, if I'm not mistaken. Super cooling connections? What do you mean? You don't have water cooling on the motherboard? No, this isn't the formula. This is the (sighs) hero. The hero. The hero. It's got a nice large VRM. It supports all sorts of overclocking, including LN2 mode, but... The processor itself is just the limiting factor because we have all the heat in there. Now, with the phase hooked up to the CPU, I can get, believe it or not, 200 more megahertz out of it. That just seems like an awful lot of work for 200 megahertz. Yeah, it's quite a bit. And ironically enough, that is as fast as it will go with the setup that I have. But you just told me that that was a monster overclocker. Monster, you said. I said monster. Because if you look at the package, it's a 3.7 gigahertz processor. Okay, so? And it runs at 5.3. I feel like it should run faster, I guess. (laughs) You would think that... um, That just doesn't seem fast for a a processor that I'm aware of is kind of top of the line, unlocked, massively expensive. (laughs) you You know, it's a car. Yeah, actually, it is a car. Um, (laughs) The processor itself basically boosts to the maximum frequency of the silicon, which is also a telltale sign of the limitation of that process. So remember how back in the day, AMD, you could buy um, an Athlon processor, and it might overclock about 200 megahertz, and that was all you could get, and everybody was all super happy about getting 200 megahertz? That was like back in the day. Well, it's the same thing. AMD tries to maximize their silicon performance. So we have these processors that are being released with not a lot of overclocking headroom on top of it without going to drastic measures like supercooling and extra voltage and stuff like that. So we've become a game of inches. I think that makes sense. Well, with the core edition processors, ever since Ivy Bridge, remember how we would have a new processor release and we'd have this incremental performance gain. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, that was basically... A, uh, a response to the market. So there was no need to release a processor at its at the bleeding edge of what the architecture could support. We just needed something to satisfy the masses, sure. to actually do what it needed to do. And so we have Sandy Bridge to Ivy Bridge to Haswell. All of them were about the same performance. They had slightly better memory controllers, incremental performance increases. But in a, the hands of a skilled overclocker, you could unlock those and take them up to 6 gigahertz relatively easy. That's the same case we have with the latest edition 10th series processors, but we've reached that apex. We've reached the limit of the silicon with the amount of heat that it produces. Very interesting. Now, I think I want to talk a little bit more about your performance, but before we do that, I have a couple of questions. And, and the first is, 
we should round it out. What kind of memory are we running on this thing? Is it crazy 4,000 speed memory or something? Yeah, we have the thermal take memory on there. And this is a, a kit that I bought. It's 16 gigabits, but it runs at uh, 4,400 megahertz. Oh, 45. Wow, that's impressive. So that's pretty cutting edge. Yep. And I'm sure the power supply doesn't probably matter in this setup. But uh, just to finish the build, what, what, what are we running over there? Um, we have a 1,200 watt from... Uh, we have a twelve. Excuse me. <laughs> we have a twelve hundred watt cooler master. Woohoo! Platinum, I'm sure. Actually, it's gold. It's old. Oh, nice. Well, uh, certainly overkill for most builds. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now to my question. Yes. You have hooked the phase directly to the processor, and I know in the past you've done builds where the phase was used as a water chiller. So why didn't you go that route? Primarily, I wanted to see what the processor could do if I could make it cold. Okay. As you know, I, I use this phase all the time. And on some of these smaller chips, I can freeze the processor and get a lot more performance out of it. Um, on the 9900K, it will go to about 5.7 gigahertz before it really tops out. On this 10th generation CPU, same temperature, same basic overclocking prowess, you can go to 5.5 before it actually just kind of putters out and doesn't really do anything. I can't get an extra 50 megahertz out of it before it actually dies and will not allow it to go into Windows. The biggest issue here, though, is to get it to do 5.5, it has to be cold. I can get the CPU itself to run at 5.3 on air, but to get those extra 200 megahertz, it actually has to be cold. In some of the other CPUs I've overclocked, I can get close to 5.5 without being cold. And it's really... To get to that six gigahertz barrier is where I have to actually use LN2 or a phase or something like that. It This CPU is just weird in terms of the way that it overclocks, but it's also the epitome of you buy the performance that, that you want. You don't actually have to overclock it. I guess that makes sense because you know what you're getting right out of the box. And if you really want to get a little bit more, it's there for you, although cost prohibitive for most users. Mm-hmm. Well, the other thing that I think we should talk about is... I very rarely see you do SLI in an overclock machine. And I know that you had some specific reasons for doing that, but what's different about overclocking SLI? SLI brings up a lot of interesting aspects to overclocking. When you have a single GPU, you only have to worry about the temperature and voltage on that one GPU. When you have two of them or more in some cases, you have to worry about every one of those chips and making sure that each one of them is running at the same speed and each one of them has the same quality a lot of times, each one of them has to have the same memory on it. Otherwise, you can't run the same clocks on every card. And once you have one card that's 200 megahertz slower than your first card, that's where you get the, the performance hitches and you can't actually get maximum performance out of what you should be getting. So when I'm running your GTX 1070s in SLI, the thing that I need to make sure is that if I set a clock on one card, that clock is compatible with the other card. That's not the case with these cards, but you might have two 1070s in a machine, maybe from different manufacturers or maybe from a different release. They might have a different clock from the manufacturer, and that will tell you the quality of the GPU, at least in terms of the way the manufacturer sees it. I know when we purchased that second card, we made sure to get as close a match as we could, Mm -hmm. and the water cooling from the Seahawk was just an added bonus. So... Weak spots when we- you run to our, our, I think the bottleneck is what you're telling me. <laughs> well, there is the issue of you have the data that is in the CPU being processed and in the system memory that has to get to the GPU. 
with modern DirectX 11, DirectX 10 stuff, we have offset a lot of the video processing to the video card. We still have to get the data there. So we have to consider the motherboard itself. Some processors have more PCI Express lanes. That gives you a wider pipe, a wider bit of bandwidth to get data to the video card. In some cases, it gives you better performance. In games, you're not really noticing too much, but when you're doing overclocking and it, <laughs> you have every megahertz counts, the width of the pipe makes a difference. And sometimes even just adding one or two megahertz to the PCI Express bus will be the difference between first place and second place. All right, all right. I think we've talked enough about the hardware, so let's talk performance. <laughs> let's talk about the benchmarks. How did the machine do? Did we find any weak spots other than that processor limitation we've already talked about? Well, the whole purpose of setting up this build was to test your GPUs. You were concerned that maybe the hardware was damaged, which is why the card was flaking out, or maybe it was a driver issue. Maybe it was the SLI bridge. I thought it was the bridge. So when I set this machine up, set it up on the Hero, I set it up in SLI, we hooked up the water loop, and I put on a high bandwidth bridge, which is what was supposed to be on there for those particular cards. Install the driver, and everything worked. Woohoo! Now... When I started overclocking the system, I realized that there's one card in there that is what I would call weak. So when you get close to the edge of the clocks that will be supported for each card, there's a little bit of tearing that happens. Sometimes that is a memory problem. Sometimes that's a GPU problem where we have these internal power supplies on the Pascal cards that will limit how much power goes to the GPU and it will cause it to flake out. That could actually just be a weak GPU. It could be a bad VRM, who really knows? But if you back it off a couple of megahertz, it works great. And as the benchmark showed, we're in the top five in everything that I've run so far. So overall, they're really solid cards. I think the problem we were running into with your build was driver and a bridge. Oh, well, ah, that's what happens when machines get old, I guess. Yeah. Too bad I had to buy a 2070. Yeah, that, that really <laughs> sucks for you. Well, these 1070s will eventually find a home, I think, in other machines. Yeah, they're uh, really solid cards. And much like, you know, the Sandy Bridges and the Ivy Bridges of days gone by, they will still play the latest AAA titles for various reasons, as long as you have a good video card. And they are still very sought-after cards, although, uh, sadly, they've been replaced. But you didn't really get to the excitement level. You mentioned fifth place. Yeah. So I, I want to come back to that. So this machine uh, actually went out and what does fifth place mean? Oh, well, fifth place. We're talking about hardware bot scores here. Yes. We have an interesting situation with the GTX 1070 on hardware bot. And this is something we talked about in lots of episodes before where we have the, um, the deep pocket syndrome of overclocking or, you know, the person with the deepest pockets gets the best scores. Sure. And uh, the binning. <laughs> we have the binning process. We have these cherry pick CPUs that are being used in with cherry picked video cards. And those get us the world records. Those get us the gold cups, the hardware first places. Those are the ones that get us all the glory. The, um, the offset of that is that we have all the available points in certain hardware categories, like in the 1080 category or the 1070 tie. We don't have a lot of points available in the 1070 and much less in the 1070 SLI 
because when that card was released, we also had a mining shortage. Okay, so when you say there aren't many points available, what you're really saying is there aren't a lot of people overclocking this particular configuration. Yes. And so on Hardware Bot, that means that there are less points to be had. So more popular categories have more competition. And more points more available. More points available. But the bragging rights are a little bit higher when you win the category that everybody's competing in, and that just makes sense. It does. And, well, with the 1070, we have, I think there was a total of, like, 30 scores in all of the video card categories for two cards in, as a GTX 1070. We got fifth place in most of those, or will have fifth place in most of those. And I'm looking at the ones that are um, higher than us. And they fall into one of two categories. Okay. One, we have a cherry-picked 1070 that has been volt-modded in some way so that it will run a good almost 150 megahertz faster than I can get either one of these cards to run, even on water. All right. So those are the pros or the sponsored overclockers, most likely, or the deep pockets. (laughs) The modders. Um, Yeah. Those cards are purposely modified for this particular purpose. The other ones, we have a a general basic 1070. So we have the same core clocks that I can have, but then we have a cherry pick CPU. So one of the top scorers in this category is using a 9900K that somehow able to run 4,000 megahertz memory at CAS 12 with a 5,000 megahertz memory clock. That's impressive. Yeah, that is a one in a million CPU. Uh, this guy is probably trying to find every combination he can get points in with his golden sample there. Yeah. So basically what happens there, as you mentioned, we have this golden sample CPU. So we're going to make a sweep. So we basically pull out every video card we have in our arsenal and we just sit down for probably about a month and run each one of them through these benchmarks until we reach our apex. A lot of times you find that core clock that works and then you just repeat it for every benchmark that you have installed. That may not get you the best score in every category, but a lot of cases it really does because you have that one key component that will make or break your benchmark. SLI though, does that restrict what benchmarks that you can use? Uh, I mean, what, what categories are we looking at? What software? Well, we're basically all of the video card benchmarks that are on hardware button. There's a bunch of them. The famous ones are all the 3D marks. So we have <laughs> 3D Mark 06 this is a video card benchmark primarily based off of whatever your uh, video, uh, based off of whatever your subsystem is, your CPU and your motherboard, but it's in the video card category. We also have 3D Mark 11, which is heavily based off of the video card. We have Time Spy, we have Firestrike, which is one of my favorites. We also have the Unigen Heaven benchmarks, which have DirectX 9 and DirectX 11 components. We have Catzilla, and then we have a whole bunch of ones that I've never run before, and I probably never will. While we have all these different benchmarking categories, benchmarks that we can run, there's only a certain few of them that award you points. And really, the the reasons that the other benchmarks are there are more or less to try out. It's like, well, what's the popularity? How accurate is this benchmark? And if they decide to award points for it, they just have to flip a switch, and it will start calculating points for all the scores that are submitted. Okay, so we have a purpose-built machine that was designed mostly to test the SLI cards, mm-hmm. and we were successful. Yes. So that's a lot of work to put that machine together. Any future plans for that build? Other processes or configurations that we can look forward to? 
Really? I want to take that 10900K and put it under LN2 and see if I can get 6 gigahertz out of it. From what I've been told, there is kind of a bit of a wall, a temperature wall. So it's like we need to get it colder to actually get any more out of it. And once we get it past that point, then it frees up the uh, the voltage and the frequency side of the things. So it will um, go a little bit faster. And that's not uncommon. I suppose we will have to see what happens. All right. Well, I'm glad that those two cards have taken a second life. And fifth place, I got to feel a little bit proud of that, even though I had very little to do with it. So congratulations on that. And tune in for more future overclocking adventures with Dennis coming soon. For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, please consult our show notes at hardwareasylum.com. Stay up to date on the latest at Hardware Asylum by subscribing to our RSS. Follow us on Twitter or like us on Facebook. This has been a Ninja Lane production, copyright 2020. Thanks for listening.